It is really good that all of you are here this morning. Uh, we are in the midst of a short series out of the book of Habakkuk, a short series out of a short book. Um, and I think that it's a book that has a lot to teach us, a lot that we can learn from personally. And it's an amazingly relevant um, for something that was written so long ago. It's amazingly relevant to our time and our place right now. Uh, before we start into Habakkuk, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Father, we thank you for the ways that you work in our world and the way that you work in our lives. And Father, we want to acknowledge that sometimes we see you working and sometimes we don't. We pray, Father, that you will give us the faith to know that you are always working, always working in our world and always working in our lives. Father, we thank you for your word, for the Bible. Thank you for faithful servants like Habakkuk and the words that have been recorded from their lives Father, we thank you for the way that we can learn from Habakkuk how to have faith during very difficult times. And we pray, Father, that the time that we spend this morning will be a time that your name will be glorified. And, Father, it will be a time that we will take one step closer to being more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we're at the second in a four-part series from the book of Habakkuk. Last week, we talked about... um, Having a faith that questions. Uh, We took a look at how Habakkuk, God's faithful prophet, reacted to a world that was in desperate need of God. But where it was oftentimes uh, a world where it was really difficult to see God at work. So we talked about how Habakkuk cried out to God with questions. And God welcomed and accepted those questions. And we also talked about how God answered those questions. Um, I'd like to put in a little plug for our website, if I could, the new website. It's netherwoodpark.com. On that website now, you can listen to podcasts of our sermons. So if you've missed a sermon that you'd like to hear, or if you would like to listen to a sermon again, you can go to that website. If you click at the very top on ministries, podcasts is one of the things that will come down, and you'll find recent sermons. So you can go and kind of catch up if you've missed something. So I want to throw that out there also want to encourage you to pull out your bulletin. You'll pull out an insert out of your bulletin that has some things that will be useful for you this morning. Um, If you'll notice, one of the things is a timeline. This timeline will be useful to kind of help uh, place Habakkuk in the history of Israel and in the history of Judah. We'll be referring to it a little bit this morning. We referred to it a lot more last week. And then also you'll find an outline of the sermon where you can fill in and take notes as I'm speaking this morning. I also do want to acknowledge something that we made a mistake. You'll notice on the daily prayer and Bible readings, they're on the wrong pages. So you'll start kind of at the back and then work your way forward. Um, I think you can figure it out if you'll just look at the days. Monday is still Monday. It's just not where it normally would be. But make sure that you get that if you would. So if you were able to be here last week, you'll remember that Habakkuk lived some 600 years before the birth of Christ. And he served during a time that was very difficult in the lives and history of God's people. Habakkuk was a prophet to Judah, to the southern kingdom. It was a time when Judah was under tremendous pressure from outside influences, from outside countries. Um, If it wasn't the Assyrians who were putting pressure on Judah, it was the Egyptians. And if it wasn't the Egyptians, it was the Babylonians. So Judah was under tremendous pressure. Pressure. They're under tremendous pressure militarily. They're under tremendous pressure economically. 
But it wasn't just that kind of pressure that was the problem, but also they were under pressure religiously. Because the countries that surrounded them were idol worshipers. And Judah had accepted many of those idols and many of those detestable practices. So it's a time of great pressure for Judah. And in the time that Habakkuk serves Babylon, Babylonia is right literally on the doorstep of Judah. Fierce Babylon, aggressive Babylon is at the doorstep. And if the military and economic pressures from these powerful outsiders wasn't enough, there was also pressure internally. There was pressure inside, for Judah had problems of its own. And these problems were the primary concern of Habakkuk. Because within his own country, within Judah itself, Habakkuk looked around and saw violence. He saw injustice. He saw strife. And so Habakkuk responded to that by crying out to God. He cried out to God. He said, God, look at what's going on among your people. And God, how long, how long is it before you do something about this injustice, about the violence, about the strife, about the conflict? And remember, this is also a time when Judah is more isolated than they've ever been. Because the northern kingdom has fallen. Israel is gone. The people have been deported. And so Judah is isolated. It's just them. And they're not a very large country. And it's not a very large group of people. And they're under tremendous pressure. And that's the working environment of Habakkuk. If you bring up the map real quick. Just to kind of set us where we are, this is Habakkuk's world. This is the area that Babylonia is dominating during the time of Habakkuk. And Judah is one little piece in a large geographic area under the influence of Babylon. Last week we saw that Habakkuk had deep concern, but he also had deep faith. He had been persistently crying out to God. He had been crying out, how long, O Lord? How long? How long until you act? How long until you set things right? How long until you replace injustice with justice? How long until you replace violence, strife, and conflict with peace? And we ended last week with the beginning of God's answer to Habakkuk. We ended in chapter 1 and verse 5. And we ended with these words. As the Lord spoke to Habakkuk, he said, Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Sounds good, doesn't it? Watch and be amazed. Habakkuk, soon I'm going to do something unbelievable. I imagine that Habakkuk was very excited about those words. Watch and be amazed. I'm about to do something unbelievable. See, Habakkuk had asked for God to act, and now he's excited because God is about to take action. See, I'm sure he was anticipating that God was about to deal with the violence. God was about to deal with the injustice. God was about to deal with the strife, and he's about to deal with the conflict. Habakkuk's God was finally going to right the wrongs, and he was going to do it soon. How long, O Lord? How long? And the Lord answered Habakkuk, Now, Habakkuk, 
now. But unfortunately, Habakkuk's excitement was short-lived. Because God's amazing and unbelievable actions are amazing and unbelievable to Habakkuk because they are so unexpected. They're amazing and they're unbelievable because they're so unwelcome to Habakkuk. And they're amazing and unbelievable because they're so hard for Habakkuk to understand. See, as we pick up on God's reply in verse 6, God says this. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. See, Habakkuk is informed that God's going to deal with the violence among his people by bringing in an even more violent people. God is going to deal with the injustice among his people by bringing a people against them that has no law at all. God is going to deal with their unfaithfulness to him by bringing a nation against them that doesn't even know him. Listen to God's description of the Babylonians. He says they're like vultures swooping down to devour. He says they come bent on violence. He says their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. He said they deride kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. And God says that the Babylonians are guilty men whose strength is their own God. Well, poor Habakkuk. I mean, I, I can imagine the expression on his face. He has to be shocked. Habakkuk has to be perplexed. He has to be completely confused by God's response. Because this is not what Habakkuk had in mind. This is not what made sense to him. This is not how he envisioned God solving the problems that were going on in Judah. Poor Habakkuk. Shocked, dazed, confused by God's response. Just listen to Habakkuk's response to God's news. In verse 13... Habakkuk says this, he says, O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment? O rock, you have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Do you hear what Habakkuk is saying? Habakkuk is saying, how can you use the Babylonians to do your work? They are the antithesis of you. They are the opposite of you. Habakkuk is saying, why them, O Lord? Why them? Habakkuk is saying, how can you stand by while Babylonia destroys Judah? While the completely wicked destroys the partially wicked Habakkuk is completely confused. It seems to him that God is choosing the wrong side. But mostly Habakkuk is confused 
Because God is not acting like Habakkuk expects him to act. And that brings us to our key point this morning, the point that I want to make sure that we all understand and we all live with. It's this. It's that human logic is the enemy of complete faith and trust in God. Human logic is the enemy of complete faith and trust in God. See, if we require, if we demand that God operate according to our human logic, then we're constraining God. We're limiting God. If our faith and trust in God is dependent on Him acting according to our human reasoning, we're placing boundaries on God. We're boxing God in. We're limiting what we think He can do. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a God who shares my human limitations. I want a God that's bigger than that. And fortunately, Habakkuk has, and we have, a God that is bigger than that. And Habakkuk had a faith that could withstand his utter confusion. And make no mistake, Habakkuk is confused. He is perplexed. He is still full of questions. But Habakkuk also knows that God can't possibly be finished yet. Habakkuk recognized that there had to be more to the story than the Babylonian conquest of Judah. Habakkuk knew that his God, that his faithful God, his righteous God, would not allow the wicked Babylonians to be the final act in the story. Notice Habakkuk's confidence in verse 12. Habakkuk says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting Then he says, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. Habakkuk's saying, Lord, you're the eternal one. Lord, you're the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, you're the beginning and the end. Habakkuk's saying, my God, the completely Holy One, I trust, I believe, I have faith. Faith that you will not let your people die. Faith that you will not let this be the end of the story. And so Habakkuk waits. He waits for God to reveal the rest of the story. He waits for God to tell the next step. He waits for God to once more answer. We can read in chapter 2 and verse 1. Habakkuk says this. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say To me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You see, Habakkuk didn't know what to tell the people of Judah. He didn't know what to tell them because what God had promised was going to happen with the Babylonians simply didn't make sense to the people and it didn't make sense to their prophet. So Habakkuk once more waited for God's reply. And God did reply. He replied first by counseling patience. In verse 2 of chapter 2, God says this. He says, The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God's counsel is wait, Habakkuk. 
wait, Habakkuk, the rest of the story will come when it's time for it to come. Even if it seems like things are moving slowly, wait, Habakkuk. The rest of the story is definitely coming, and it will come at exactly the right time. And then, after counseling patience, God deals with Habakkuk's confusion. He deals with his confusion by revealing his opinion of and by revealing his plans for the Babylonians. Chapter 2 is devoted mostly to that. God telling Habakkuk what he has against the Babylonians and what's going to happen to them. Unfortunately, we don't have time to read all of that, but I'll summarize it for us this morning. See, God in great detail presents his case against the Babylonians. He talks about their greed He talks about their arrogance. He talks about their injustice. He talks about their violence. He talks about their idolatry. And he acknowledges that Habakkuk is exactly right. Habakkuk has it exactly right. These people, the Babylonians, are incredibly evil people. And he promises Habakkuk that as evil people, they will not endure. They will not last. Because they are evil, he promises that the tables will be turned. Their wickedness will be exposed. He tells Habakkuk, just wait. Their time is coming. They will pay for their greed. They will pay for their arrogance. They will pay for their extortion. They will pay for their violence. They will pay for their idolatry. Their evil will be exposed. See, God makes sure that Habakkuk understands that he won't turn a blind eye to the Babylonian wickedness and evil. But he also makes sure that Habakkuk understands that he will first use Babylonia for his purposes in dealing with the evil of his people, Judah. That will not change. When we first started this morning talking about this exchange between Habakkuk and God, we focused on the excitement that Habakkuk must have had to hear about the amazing and unbelievable things that God had planned. But then we saw how that excitement turned into confusion. Turned into confusion as God outlined his plan to use Babylonia to punish the evil found in Judah. And now we find Habakkuk with his confusion taken care of. The mysteries cleared up. See, he has a very clear picture of exactly what God has planned for Judah. And he also has a very clear picture of exactly what God has planned for Babylonia. But he also has a very clear picture that God, being a faithful God, is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And that means very difficult days to come for Judah. Extremely difficult circumstances to live through. And so Habakkuk is left with a heavy heart. He has a heavy heart because his faith tells him that God is going to do exactly what he has promised to do. But God does provide some comfort in the midst of the gloom. Some ray of hope with a heavy heart. 
because he reminds Habakkuk of two things. The first thing he reminds Habakkuk of is found in verse 4, where he affirms that the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk lets, God lets Habakkuk know that the righteous will not be blotted out. They will, this will not be the end of God's people. But God will continue to work through his righteous people. But God will continue to work in very surprising ways. He also provides comfort by reminding Habakkuk that he, that he, God, will endure. He reminds Habakkuk that he, God, will be in control. He reminds Habakkuk that he, God, will be a refuge for the righteous who live by faith. In verse 20 of chapter 2, God closes his reply to Habakkuk with these words. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is alive. He is working And he will redeem his people. So with that, what can we learn? What can we learn from the prophet Habakkuk as he deals with his confusion in what God has told him? As he deals with the confusion as he looks at what he expects God to do and what God tells him he's going to do. Well, I think we can learn at least four things. The first is this. First, we learn that God is continually working to accomplish his purposes. We learn that God is at work. He's at work in ways that we see, and he's at work in ways that we don't see. We learn that God is at work in ways that we understand, and God is at work in ways that we don't understand. We learn that God is at work through people that we would expect him to work through, And he's at work in people that we wouldn't expect him to work through. He's at work through events that we would expect him to work through. But God is also at work through events that we wouldn't expect him to work through. Habakkuk understood then, and faithful people will understand now, that God is continually working in all manner of ways to accomplish his purposes. Well, the second thing that I think that we can learn from Habakkuk this morning is that God often chooses to work in ways that may make us very, very uncomfortable. Let me ask you a question. What's your equivalent of Babylonia? I want you to think of the most detestable country, the most detestable organization or the most detestable group of people that you can possibly think of. That is who the Babylonians were to Habakkuk. And if God chose to work through Babylonia to accomplish his purposes, it shouldn't surprise us at all that he will choose to work through any country, any organization, or any group today to accomplish his purposes. But Habakkuk understood then, and faithful servants will understand now, that God will often choose to work in ways that are going to make us very uncomfortable. 
Well, the third thing we learn from Habakkuk is that our personal desires may be thwarted as God works to bring about his purposes. You see, we may not get what we want. Things may not happen the way we want them to happen. God may not act when we want him to. He may not act how we want him to. He may not act through whom we want him to. And he may not act where we want him to. But God is in control. And I must come to grips with the fact that God's world does not revolve around me. See, Habakkuk understood then, and faithful servants understand now, that our personal desires may be thwarted as God works to bring about his purposes. And finally, I think we learn from Habakkuk that faith during confusion requires accepting that God's plans and purposes are beyond human understanding. God's plans and purposes are beyond human understanding. God's plans are bigger than our plans. God's purposes are greater than our purposes. God's understanding is deeper than our understanding. God's vision reaches further than our vision. God's ways are not our ways. See, Habakkuk understood then, and faithful servants will understand now, that faith in the midst of confusion requires us to accept that God's plans and God's purposes are beyond our human understanding. So what do we do with this? What can we do right now? What can we take away from what we've learned from Habakkuk and put into our own lives right now? Well, again, I'm going to suggest four things that I think each of us can do now. The first thing I want to suggest and encourage is for all of us to give to God what he already owns. Give to God what he already owns. By this, I want us to understand that God already owns world events. God already owns national events. God already owns local events. I'm afraid that we expend way too much energy. We spend way too much time in worry. We devote way too much anger, way too much confusion. We engage in way too much strife over things that we have little if any, control over. Give to God what he already owns, what he already controls. He owns the Middle East. I suggest we let him have it. He owns Washington. I suggest we let him have it. He owns Santa Fe. I suggest we let him have it. He owns Albuquerque. I suggest we let him have it. You know, we talked about last week, and I want to reiterate, by all means, call out, cry out, pray out to God about the state of the world. Cry out to God about the state of the nation. Cry out to God about the state of our state. Cry out to God about the state of our city. But cry out to God and give him what he already owns. Have faith that he's already working in each one of those situations to accomplish his purpose. Likely, 
in surprising ways. But he's doing it in every situation. The second thing I think we can do is we can all acknowledge to each other and we can acknowledge to God our confusion. We can tell each other and we can tell God when we're confused, when we don't understand. Because oftentimes things don't make sense. Many things don't seem to add up. Things frequently aren't the way that it seems like they should be. You know what? That's okay. This world can be a confusing place. There's no value at all in pretending that it's not a confusing place. Take your confusion to God. But when you take your confusion to God, remember and acknowledge and understand that while he accepts and welcomes your questions, he also has other expectations of you. And that's the third thing that I want to mention that I think we can all do. And that's to acknowledge and affirm his sovereignty. The world is God's, as is everything that's within it. We must all acknowledge and worship God as master. Acknowledge and worship him as king, as creator, as sustainer, as Lord. We need to recognize and affirm that our God is sovereign. He is the king. And finally, I think we can all choose to be patient. A difficult thing to choose and a difficult thing to do. But we can learn from Habakkuk and apply in our lives the choice to be patient. To be patient when his answer to us is patience. You know, we're fond of saying that we have to accept the fact that sometimes God's answers to prayer is no. And I believe that's true, that God sometimes answers prayer no. But I believe that at least as frequently, if not more frequently, his answer to our prayers is patience, is wait. And not just wait, but wait on me. God calls on us to wait on him with patience. We must have faith that God is working to accomplish his purposes. He's working to make things right, but he's working in his time. And it's our task to wait faithfully and to wait patiently, knowing that our God will act in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. So that's my invitation today. My invitation is this, in the midst of our confusion, but in complete faith and trust in God, that we all give to God what he already owns. But we also acknowledge to each other and to God that what's going on is often confusing and difficult to understand. But in the midst of that, we affirm that God is sovereign. We affirm that he is king. And then we wait patiently for our king, for our sovereign, to answer us in his time, in his way. Our desire is to be of service to you. And I want you to know if there's any way that we can be of service, we'd like for you to let us know about that. You can do that in 
a variety of ways. We are going to stand and sing a song in a moment. You could walk to the front and let us know how we could be of service to you. Or you can walk towards the back, through the doors back there, and you'll have someone who can show you to room 104, and a couple of our elders will be back there waiting to talk to you, waiting to pray with you, waiting to serve you and how you need to be served. But if we can help in any way, we invite you to do one of those two things while we stand and while we sing.